Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple App of the Year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life Podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day, 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude, and so much more. 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind and relax the body. Exclusive music tracks for focus, relaxation, and sleep. Calm Masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts. My personal favorites include sleep stories, and I've recently discovered Calm Music, which I have on a continuous loop at my practice, in counseling sessions, and in classes. I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness, and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations, and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash calm health trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial and just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of calm premium you'll be feeling calm relaxed and at peace in no time the mindful life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and thanks for joining me for episode number 24 of the Mindful Life podcast. In today's episode, I talk about my recent breakup with Facebook. Yes, you heard right. I've made the very scary decision to say goodbye to the social media platform that has over 526 million daily users worldwide. I explore what has prompted my decision to let go of Facebook along with some of my thoughts and insights around why I think 
Facebook is so popular and why we become so addicted. Humans are all about connection and interaction. So it's no surprise that Facebook and other social media platforms serve to satisfy this strong need and desire we all have to feel connected and to be part of a community. But in my opinion, it's so much more than that. Facebook makes us feel good. We love the positive feedback, the approval, and for some of us, the ego massage, thanks to all the likes and comments we receive post after post. It's a great and ongoing boost to our self-esteem and to our confidence. Where in the real world can we have 50 plus people like or comment on something we have said or done? Nowhere. And this is why it's so appealing. But is this feedback real? Is it authentic and meaningful? Not only are these connections often not real, our modern day obsession with social media is taking us away from the real world. We are fixated on this alternate world at the expense of our relationships and our work productivity. And we are unfortunately losing sight of our priorities and what is important in the real world. Facebook is the ultimate mindfulness antithesis, the opposite of mindfulness, an alternate universe where the real world is all but forgotten. So it's been a while between episodes. I've been waiting patiently for inspiration to hit, uh, but I've been struggling. I haven't really come up with anything to podcast about. I guess I've had a bit of a writer's block of sorts, but I've really missed posting. And today I thought I might tell a little bit of a tale on my breakup with Facebook. Some of my insights and thoughts on this are probably really helpful uh, to share with you, my listeners. So on April the 1st, I broke up with Facebook. And no, this wasn't an April Fool's prank. I never actually planned for it to happen on that date and I never even thought about it until a few days ago that I could have used the date as a fallback or as an out clause, stating that it was just an April Fool's joke. How funny and ironic. Maybe I subconsciously did that. So I could have an escape clause. Interesting, I guess. So first of all, what is Facebook all about? So let's talk about its prime purpose. I think you'd have to have been living under a rock or on another planet to not know that Facebook is uh, all about connection uh, and to know what happens in the Facebook world. Although according to Wikipedia, there are a couple of countries that have banned Facebook, including uh, Iran, Bangladesh, North Korea and parts of China. And it's also been banned for periods of time in other countries usually for political reasons. But as we all know, its use is pretty widespread. And according to a little research that I've done, 526 million people open Facebook at least once a day. So its use is massive uh, and pretty widespread across the world. Google tells me that the purpose of Facebook, and this is a quote, is to connect with your friends online, join the Facebook community for free, find friends, follow interesting topics, share your memories, connect with old friends, plan events, play games with friends, share photos, chat online and stay in touch with family. 
sounds great, doesn't it? And really helpful and harmless. And yes, it really can be a great tool to stay connected with friends and loved ones, particularly if they are interstate or overseas. I personally have loved reconnecting with old school friends and learning all the intricate and sometimes intimate details of their lives. But it's also a massive time waster. And it's also a great procrastination tool. It's been linked to bullying with users hiding behind their keyboards, saying and doing things they may never in the real world. It can be really isolating, even though it's about connection. The irony is it takes us away from the real world. And of course, the present moment. It's fair to say that it's an alternate universe. Users can create a profile and really turn themselves into anyone they desire. And from what I'm seeing, people are becoming more and more addicted. I most certainly am or was. In fact, the DSM-5, which is more or less the official Bible for diagnosing mental health conditions, it's the handbook that mental health workers use in their work with clients. This has now listed a new diagnosis, internet addiction. So recently I had a bit of an epiphany and I was thinking it's just not normal to have this kind of intimate access on a daily basis into people's lives. Some people share every detail of their day, their thoughts, their emotions, their motivations, their achievements, and of course their difficulties and their struggles. Some people post multiple times a day. Don't get me wrong, I've been there and I'm not judging. So you'll hear me say this a number of times. There's no judgment from this avid Facebook user. Yes, until recently, I was a prolific user and a prolific poster posting at least once a day, sometimes more than once a day. But if you think about it, if you have 600 friends, which is where I was at, yes, ridiculous, I know, and let's flag that to talk about later, and even if half of those 600 are posting once a day about their stuff, their, the goings-on in their life and the drama that they are experiencing, because often this is what it's about, it's about the drama in their life, it's a lot of info for us to absorb. When I brought this to the attention of my husband, he said, how's it any different to running into someone at the supermarket and having a chat about their day or about their lives and what they've been up to? I said, well, yeah, I guess so. But it's kind of like that to the power of 100 or 200 or more, depending on how many of your friends post stuff. And it's multiple times a day and often much more intimate details. Do we need to know all that stuff about people? I know lots of people just share stuff, whether it be memes, funny videos or pictures of their adventures, but many more share lots of intimate details. And I began to feel like it was information overload. So back to the friends and people's friends lists and the amount of friends many of us have on our list at any one time. As I said earlier, I have or had 600 friends. Let's just think about that for a moment. Maybe they should change the name from friends to contacts or to followers. I do not know all of these 600 people personally. How could I? But sometimes I feel like I know a lot more about them than I really should or that I need to. I know the intimate details of their food and alcohol intake, their physical and mental health, their workout re regimes, how much they hate their job and sometimes even their relationship dramas. 
Again, not judging, just questioning whether it's health, healthy or even helpful for us to know all of this. It's too much. And I think it's oversharing and it can be overwhelming. And again, I've been guilty of this because I think the Facebook world normalises and encourages this behaviour. It encourages us to overshare and to constantly talk about how we're feeling. And yes, that can be helpful and it can be productive. But sometimes sharing those intimate details uh, can create more drama um, and it can feed into uh, to people's egos. And I'll talk a bit more about ego a bit later on. So it is a great way for people to vent and to get support. But we've always done this amongst our friends anyway. Read real friends, just not in such a public way. It was usually done one-on-one or on a much smaller scale, catching up with girlfriends or chatting over the phone with people you actually knew. So back to that massive friends list. How did that happen? And it was actually bigger than that at different times. I guess it happens as many of us are part of so many different networks and circles, whether it be family, an extended family, old school friends, past and current work colleagues, our friends, our real friends, special interest, interest groups like your gym community or any sports you play or any hobbies that you have. And this incidentally is a large part of my friends list, probably along with the past work colleague network. Then there are networks like school mums and all your kids sporting and other groups. So yes, before you know it, you have a lot of names on that friends list. A few years back, I had a big presence in the sport of obstacle course racing. And for those not aware, obstacle course racing or OCR was pretty big in Australia a few years ago. It involves running a specified distance and moving your body over obstacles that may include walls, rope climbs, through water or carrying specified objects. It's really, really fun and inclusive. And yes, you meet heaps of like-minded people. So after every event, you would end up with loads of friend requests. And I would also send requests out as well to people I had been chatting to at the event. But sometimes I hadn't even spoken to people who were sending me requests. But of course, in the interest of not being rude, I'd just add them. What if I saw them at the next event and I hadn't added them? How awkward would that be? So before you know it, hundreds of friends and they all see everything you post. I think sometimes people forget that, how far and wide their posts travel. So how does all of this make us feel? I guess I can only speak for myself, but as I've said, it really is information overload. I should say here that added to all the stuff we read about our friends, most of us have liked pages and are in special interest groups as well. So there is all that information too. And it's so much to take in, a lot of brain activity, a lot to process, but it pulls us in. It appeals to our interests and we feel connected. We are human. Humans are pack animals and we thrive on connection on being around other humans, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's online. But how much of the Facebook connection is meaningful or even real? So why do we love it so much? Well, here are my thoughts on why it appeals so much to us. The bottom line is it feeds our ego. And the reality is we all want to feel worthy, liked and approved of. It's an innate quality. And let's be honest, Facebook can fill that need. It can make us feel liked and important 
Again, I've been there for a long time. I enjoyed the positive feedback I received, but it's pretty dysfunctional. It satisfies the ego for a moment and then we feel empty again. So we post again and again to keep that feedback loop going. How many likes can we get? How many positive comments can we get? I recently watched a doco called Social Animals. I think it was on Netflix. It was about Instagram. So not Facebook, but definitely still relevant to this discussion. And one teen they interviewed said if she didn't get a certain amount of likes on her picture in the desired time, she would then delete it. She couldn't possibly allow the picture to remain on Instagram without sufficient likes. She went on to say she has even bought likes in the past. So our ego is so hungry for this approval, for this reassurance. Most of us do get this approval and this reassurance in a functional way in our day-to-day life through our healthy and loving relationships, through setting and working towards and achieving measurable goals. This is how our self-esteem and our confidence grows in a healthy and functional way. But social media gives us the quick ego massage, the quick feel-good injection. But it leaves us wanting more, feeling unsatisfied, as it's not long-lasting. And of course, it's not authentic. It's pretty shallow and superficial generally. It's a shortcut or a quick fix, a bit like a hit of a drug. A post is seen and people move on. In my mindfulness course, we talk about social media and how it has become so ego-driven. I'll give you the example of going to a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter to volunteer. Fantastic, it's helping others can be a great way to connect with your fellow man and it makes us feel good to help others. No issues with that. But then posting a selfie at the shelter and putting it on Facebook. What is happening then? Are we feeding our ego? Is this humility? What is our motivation behind sharing the selfie? Again, no judgments. But I think looking at what is motivating this behavior is really important. Okay, we may be raising awareness about the plight of the less fortunate, but there are other ways to do this. Just post a link without the selfie, without telling the world, without massaging your own ego. At its very worst, Facebook and social media platforms are encouraging narcissism. Now, this is a term that gets banded around quite a bit. Narcissus was a Greek god who was so self-absorbed that he could not love anyone else. According to Greek mythology, he so adored himself that when viewing his reflection in a pool of water, he could not look away to the point that he fell in the water and drowned. So his own uh, self-obsession became his downfall. So this is where the term narcissism comes from. And it basically means being self-absorbed and self-obsessed. Keith Campbell co-authored the book, The Narcissism Epidemic, Living in the Age of Entitlement. And this is what he had to say. Social networking sites like Facebook are a product and a cause of a society that is self-absorbed. He went on to refer to Facebook as me book and self book. And Instagram isn't really that different. If you check out 10 profiles, you'll see that for the majority, most of their pics are, of course, selfies. If Instagram shut down tomorrow, God help all the Insta-famous models. Where would they go? What would they do? How would they keep their fame going? 
So it is most definitely a fine line between self-esteem, confidence building and narcissism. And all of this is addictive for so many of us. We enjoy the positive feedback. It makes us feel good, even though it can be dysfunctional. 526 million people can't be wrong, can they? So Facebook causes us to compare ourselves to others. Humans naturally engage in social comparison. It's human nature. And this can make us feel pretty crap, like we don't measure up. But we also need to remember that people often only post their highlight reel. And sometimes the highlights might not even be true. There have been cases where it was revealed that whole holiday albums or even a wedding were fabricated. Again, it's easy to make fiction fact when you are hiding behind a keyboard and a screen. At the other end of the spectrum, some people like to post all doom and gloom, all about their struggles. Yes, we all have one of those uh, friends on our friends list, or maybe more than one of those, who constantly air their dirty laundry. And sometimes this can be pushed to the limit with users posting about tragedy and trauma that clearly never happened in order to garner support and sympathy. Someone will comment, they always do, and this feedback is what people thrive on. There are also many fake profiles out there in the alternate universe of social media. You can be anyone you want to be. This is the outcome and the dark side of living your life in an alternate universe. Was this ever the intention of social media? No, I'm sure it wasn't. And then of course there is the bullying. This is the saddest and most destructive and darkest side of social media. Unfortunately, lives have been lost. Online trolling and bullying has led to a number of suicides that when tracked back, it is noted that bullying occurred via social media. I think social media sites do their best to manage and prevent this, but it's literally impossible. It's far too big to deal with. Thankfully, in this country here in Australia, it's a crime to use a phone carriage in any way to bully or intimidate, and that includes social media. I think the only way to manage this issue is to educate future generations about the dangers um, and how to manage these dangers and how to get help if uh, this becomes a problem. So as we all know, it's a wonderful tool for keeping in touch with others, uh, but Facebook and other social media platforms also allow you to keep in touch with people or situations you'd rather forget or leave behind. Enter Facebook stalking. Yes, that's a choice, but I think for some people it's just way too tempting to uh, look up their exes uh, to see what they're up to. And we've all heard stories about prospective employers checking out the profiles of potential job candidates only to find drunken pictures or similar. We all have a digital footprint and I think we all need to be pretty careful of what we're putting out there. So back to this idea of social connection because that is the prime goal of social media. But the irony is when we use Facebook, we're usually isolating ourselves by its very nature, it is an insular activity. You shut out the outside world. Walk through any restaurant or family lounge room and you will see people sitting opposite or beside each other on their phones, not interacting, not talking with each other or laughing. We are losing the human connection. 
teens that I work with often report to me that they would rather communicate via text than face to face. We are losing the art of real and raw communication. And this is affecting our relationships and our ability to connect in a meaningful way with the important people in our lives. And what of people sharing their kids' lives on social media? Do our kids consent to this? I recently read somewhere that there are now kids coming of age who are seeing almost their whole lives posted on social media thanks to their parents. And some kids aren't happy with what's been portrayed and what's been shared about their lives. Just something for all of us as parents uh, in this day and age to think about. I know of parents whose babies have their own Instagram account full of photos. It's a wonderful keepsake. But should it be public? Should parents choose without their baby's consent to document their baby's lives for the world to see? A baby cannot consent, obviously, can they? But maybe make it private at the very least, just for family or close friends only to see. And what a time waster Facebook is. Easy to lose yourself for hours at a time, just looking at stuff that interests you. And with the addition of Facebook Marketplace in recent times, now that's a whole other channel where you can search and purchase secondhand items. It really is a veritable minefield uh, and um, such a big time waster. And um, yeah, before you know it, you're purchasing lots of different things and um, lost in that Facebook world. So Facebook is a great procrastinating tool. It can take you away from whatever it is you are meant to be doing, whether that be work, study or housework um, or anything else important that you're, um, you're meant to be focusing on. So we scroll mindlessly and we fall down what I refer to as the Facebook rabbit hole. It's easy to get lost in there, not literally, but lost in a sense um, of this idea that there's no recognition of time or place. It really is um, another world. Yes, it really is an alternate uh, universe. So back to me and why I decided to, uh, to get off Facebook. I've sort of highlighted some of my thoughts and some of the things I've just mentioned are reason enough to get off Facebook. Um, for me, it's been such a long time coming and I'm quite ashamed to admit I've, I've been addicted to Facebook for a long, long time. 2013 to 2015 was probably the height of my addiction. I could not survive without it and I'd easily spend between 26 to 30 hours a week total on Facebook. Granted, I was also adminning a couple of business and special interest pages but easily most of my excessive Facebook use was personal use. And I'm absolutely prepared uh, to own that. It was and it is an addiction. I've got people around me who live in denial, stating it's a habit or that they're not uh, on Facebook that much. So many of us are addicted, but not everyone will own it uh, or admit that it's a problem in their life. There's uh, what I like to refer to as ghost users. They're the ones that never post a thing, but are on it just as much as those who constantly post. The ghost users will generally be the last to admit that they have a problem because there's no evidence, there's no excessive posting history, nothing for them to own. But they love it just as much as the next person and their use is just as high. 
The telling thing is iPhones now have a function and uh, they've done so for a number of years that can tell us exactly how long we have been on our phones for the week and which apps we have used the most. And in fact, the most recent iPhone update has uh, the screen time function, which really does uh, unpack your usage. It highlights um, how many times you've picked up your phone in a 24-hour period, uh, how much time you've spent on your phone, and it also gives a bit of a breakdown um, of how much time you're spending on each app as well. So my use was high for a long time and I honestly feel like I've missed out on life at times. I feel like I've missed out on precious time with my kids and I feel it's impacted my relationships massively uh, with family members, including me, choosing or preferring to spend time with their devices in their alternate worlds rather than uh, spending time communicating and interacting together. I've also found that when my, my mental health is struggling or I'm not coping with life, I see my phone and in particular Facebook as um, a way to escape my reality, but it's incredibly dysfunctional and it does not help me at all. I'm so aware that what I am allowing into my mind and in particular my subconscious mind via Facebook does not make me feel good at all. There's a lot of toxicity uh, in the social media world. And not to mention the effect neurologically that massive amounts of phone use can have on us, not only mentally and emotionally, but cognitively. Look, I'm not qualified to talk about that, um, but I'm sure there will be uh, some studies done or some research before long that will tell us that cognitively it's not uh, productive for us to spend large amount of times um, on our phone. So I started to note how I would feel after extended periods of time on Facebook and it was really positive. And then there's the effect of people who do not agree with you or who wish to challenge you. As I said earlier, people hiding behind their keyboards, agreeing to disagree is often very hard for some people. So I tried in recent years to reduce my usage uh, of Facebook. I wasn't ready to come off it as such. So I worked on a bit of a harm minimization uh, goal or program. So my goal was to get my usage down to the teens in hour usage per week with um, a goal to eventually get it down to uh, single figures uh, in terms of my usage, my hourly usage. I tried hiding the app in a folder or deleting the app off my phone and then only accessing via the laptop. Top. These strategies would work for a while but I would feel like I was missing out and long to be back using it more again. Seems I just wasn't ready to let go at that time. There were times when it was incredibly toxic and not at all positive, but still I, I would look um, you know, and, and keep using. I tried muting certain friends so I wouldn't see their posts and I even let go of quite a few friends and um, unliked a lot of pages that I found quite negative as well. But still I wasn't enjoying using it anymore. And in this process, I reflected on my work with my clients who are addicted to substances. Um, and in instances like this, when they disclosed that they no longer enjoyed their use, they no longer enjoyed uh, their addiction, I would state that it was a sign that the time had come to let go. So I began to see that it was time to follow my own therapeutic advice. So a few weeks ago, I come to the conclusion that enough was enough. 
and I felt ready to let go completely, to finally overcome and beat this addiction once and for all. I've used the excuse that I need to be on Facebook as I have a number of business pages. So I began to research how I could still have business profiles on Facebook, but deactivate my personal profile. Once I figured that out, I geared myself up and I made a plan to get off the following Sunday. I was so excited uh, and I felt ready, but I was also really anxious. What would I do with myself without Facebook? How would I connect with people? I told the Facebook world, well, at least those are my friends list, advising that I was still going to be on Instagram, which I use sparingly anyway, and that I'd be available on Facebook Messenger. And of course, there was old school texting and phone calls, and I'd be happy to catch up for coffee uh, if anyone wanted to do that. So I was scared. I won't lie. I did worry I would miss out groups and events, and of course, just seeing what people were up to. This is something that I knew I would miss. After 11 years of this much info overload, there would be a period of adjustment of that, I was sure. I knew it wouldn't be easy. I'd tried before, but I had this sense uh, that this time would be different. My commitment to live in the now and be fully present in all that I do was a really big part um, of this decision. And um, I guess it what, it's what was driving my desire to break up with Facebook. My mindset was different and I felt strong and I felt ready. So now it's done. It's been just over a week. Uh, so how's it been and what have I noticed? Well, the biggest thing I've noticed is how much extra time I now have in my day-to-day -day life. It was not unusual for me to sit for an hour at a time and get lost in the Facebook rabbit hole. I work part-time and I work for myself. I have a lot of gaps in my work, so there's quite a bit of downtime. And I did often enjoy just sitting with a cup of tea and scrolling mindlessly through Facebook. But if I'm honest, I hadn't really enjoyed doing that for a long time. But I continued to do it, um, even though I didn't enjoy it. It had really become a force of habit. So with all this extra time, I'm getting more stuff done. I'm looking for more stuff to do. My mind also feels clearer and less cluttered. It's hard to explain, but it's like there are less thoughts passing through and I'm noticing more things around me. I haven't struggled with a negative mindset for a really long time. This is something that I got on top of a couple of years ago when I found Buddhism and mindfulness. However, having said that, I feel that probably the last 12 months or so, Facebook, my Facebook use um, has promoted negative thoughts at times and negative feelings. So I feel that with letting go of Facebook, this last little bit of negativity has vanished. And I guess it stands to reason if there's less toxicity going into my subconscious mind, I am, of course, going to feel better. I'm also spending more time interacting with my kids and working more on my communication with my family. It's a challenge to see those in my life using their devices heavily, but I need to remember that their journey is their journey alone and it's not up to me to make them change their habits uh, or behaviors, but hopefully my role modeling may lead to them making some positive changes too when they're ready. I'm also reading a lot more and listening to podcasts and music and watching TV. I'm uh, more active, so I'm walking more and I'm doing more exercise. And I'm just generally finding other things to fill my time. 
There is still a sense that I'm missing out. So the FOMO is still there, but I think that will pass. The important people in my life are getting in touch and I'm finding other ways to communicate. Yes, old school phone calls or catching up for coffee. I wasn't brave enough to completely delete my Facebook account as that would mean losing over 5,000 photos. As I said, I was a prolific poster. So I've deactivated at this stage, which means the profile is asleep and completely invisible. I feel free and I feel so liberated and I'm really enjoying being more aware and present in the real world instead of escaping to the alternate world of Facebook. So thanks for stopping by to listen to today's episode on my breakup with Facebook, along with my thoughts and insights on the alternate world of not only Facebook, but social media media in general. Some of this may or may not have resonated with you, but if you have learned something today or found it helpful, please feel free to share this episode. You never know, it just might help or even enlighten someone else. I guess just a bit of a disclaimer of sorts. These are my experiences and my experiences alone of social media and specifically Facebook. Many of you out there may not feel the same way or view social media in the way that I have portrayed it. But if you would like to comment or share your experiences or insights um, around your social media experiences, please feel free to drop me a line either via the Mindful Life Podcast Facebook page or via email. The links can be found uh, to both of these in the show notes. And if you are feeling generous, please consider hitting those stars and leaving a few kind words of encouragement. And until next time, may you have peace in your thoughts and your hearts and share it with others. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. You've been listening to the Mindful Life podcast with your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator. If you'd like further information or you'd like to connect, feel free to make contact via Facebook or Instagram under the handle Mindful Life Podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com.